Good morning, everybody. Oof. Hey, man, I know, I know graduation was yesterday. I know prom was last night. I know, like, it's the first weekend of May. School's out for a lot of us. Like, I know. But when I say good morning, I expect good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Man, this has been a long week. Has anybody felt that this week? Is anybody looking to be recharged this morning? Because I'll tell you what, this week was long, but hey, listen to me. You made it. Amen. You made it. This morning, we get to bring forward, or we get to move forward, rather, uh, with, with our new series, a new series that we are calling Love Lies. Last week, we talked about uh, this lie that the devil puts into the atmosphere, because I don't know if you caught the audio of that bumper video, but the key strategy, we believe, of the devil to, to, to uh, get God's people off track to get people to look away from where they need to be looking, to distract people, and ultimately to tear us apart is to put lies into the atmosphere. It's how he got us in Genesis 3. It's how he gets us all throughout Scripture. It's how the devil continues to use his weapons today. And last week specifically, we jumped into a lie that I believe keeps people out of church. This lie, and hear what I'm saying, it is a lie. This lie that the church only wants my money. Man, I hate that one. I hear that one a lot, though. It is what it is. But it's a lie. And we talked about how the devil uses that lie to keep people from offering their whole selves to God. We're not talking about an amount. We're not talking about a percentage. The only percentage I believe Jesus cares about is 100. He wants 100% of you. And we talked about how when, when, when 100% of our community puts 100% of who God made them to be into God's church, the possibilities are endless. They're limitless. These dreams, these ideas that we have in our head of what can be accomplished are minuscule compared to what God will accomplish when when God's people puts 100% of themselves into the church. This week, we want to continue with this idea of lies that keep people from being involved in church, and we want to put this lie up here on the screen. Our lie that we're addressing this morning is that ministry is what the pastor does. Anybody ever heard that before? No, none of you? Okay, cool, just Garrett. No, let me inform you, that's a real thing. It causes people like me uh, panic attacks. It's fine, I'm only serious, but ministry is what the pastor does. Isn't Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Mm. Come tell me that one more time. No, I'm playing. Okay. Once upon a time, though, and this could be where it comes from. Once upon a time, that was kind of true. When you read in the Old Testament, you can read accounts of priests being nominated. 
specifically from the Levite tribe, and they would, they would go on behalf of the people to God. There was this whole ritual, there was this whole process that, that priests would have to go through to be able to even go into the same place where God dwelt, and they would be going on behalf of their community. Specifically, if you look at Leviticus chapter 16, and we'll get there in a second, but if you look at Leviticus chapter 16, you see this ritual that's called the Day of Atonement. Everybody say atonement. Atonement is what's necessary for all of us to be made right with God. And so as you look at Leviticus 16, you see this whole process where the priest would have to go and he would bring this, he would bring a bull and he would bring a ram for his own sin offering, right? Because our priests, our pastors aren't perfect. Somebody say amen. We're not perfect. And so they would have to bring a bull and a ram for their own offering. Then they would have to go through this cleansing ritual and there were scents and there was water and there was blood and there was all these things. And then there were particular clothes that they could wear, these particular linens that the priest would put on. And then and only then were they, were they accepted behind the curtain, if you will. And then once they were behind the curtain, they would go and they would receive the offering from the community. The community had to offer a ram and two goats. The ram and one goat would be sacrificed. Their blood would be shed on the altar to cover the penalty for a year's worth of our wrongdoing. And then the other goat, the priest would hear the sins of the community. He would, he would hear the complaints. He would hear the struggles. He would hear everything that the community was guilty of. And then he would place his hands on the second goat. He would confess into the second goat all that the community was guilty of. And then in a ceremony, that goat, which was now carrying the sins of the community, would be led out of the, of the town. And this was intended to purify the community for its past year. And there was a plan to continue this. When you, again, in Leviticus 16, when you drop down to verse 32, if you don't have it uh, right ready, that's okay. It's going to be up on the screen. When you drop down to verse 32, there was a plan to keep this ritual going. 32 and 33 says this, in future generations, the purification ceremony will be performed by the priest who has been anointed and ordained to serve as high priest in place of his ancestor Aaron. That's who did the initial one. He'll be put on the holy linen garments, or he will put on the holy linen garments and purify the most holy place, the tabernacle, the altar, the priest, and the congregation. You see, there was a plan for this ritual to continue. There was a process that all kinds of people had to go through just to be able to be in the same place as God. Just to enter the dwelling location of our Father in heaven. But guys, God did not like that separation. God did not like that there were so many steps and doors between him and the people that he created to love. He didn't like that there was that separation. Moreover, God didn't enjoy what the separation did to his people. God didn't enjoy that because they were so separate from him, because there were so many things between him and his creation, his creation was just out here, out of pocket, way out of pocket, just straight up wilding out here, being foul, 
because they were so separated. And so rather than continue this ritual annually, God decided once and for all. God decided to do this ritual once and for all. And he did so by sending his son Jesus as that high priest in that verse. He sent his son Jesus to cleanse the place. He sent his son Jesus to rip the curtain that most people were not allowed to peek behind. He sent his son Jesus to crumble the walls of the temple that stood between God and his world. Jesus purified once and for all, all people, when he made the world sin his own. And in return, he promised, he places the promise of hope in each of us. And yet, this lie is a thing. And yet, we still treat church, church, I'm doing air quotes for all you SoundCloud listeners, church as a day of atonement ritual, if you will. We expect the pastor to spend their week in preparation for a nice, entertaining ceremony. And in between planning sessions, he, the pastor, is allowed to go and hear the hurts and concerns of the sick, the orphaned, and the widowed. And he's allowed to do those things and those things specifically while we, the congregation, live like hell all throughout the week. And as offering for our guilt and what we've done through the week, we'll place a couple bucks that we don't miss into the basket as it goes around. And we'll readily confess while we're here mostly to ourselves, but sometimes to a prayer partner, that we're imperfect and there is such distance between us and God. And it just always feels better to be in a place of worship. Yet we refuse to repent. We refuse to turn around. We refuse to stop doing the things that make us feel so guilty. And we've refused to come to Christ specifically. Therefore, we leave this building looking more like the goat in Leviticus 16 that's carrying all the sins that were brought into the building to begin with rather than the purified believers. This, oh, but don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. There's another chance to get it right in six more days. This is not what God intended when he left the church in charge. This is not what God intended when he said, I'm going to be with my father, but you all, I'm not leaving you abandoned and orphaned. No, I'm leaving you with help. And you will use that help to have power, to have authority, to bring healing, to bring forgiveness, to bring peace. This is not what God had in mind. This is not what he wanted. And so at a peek at what I believe is probably a closer idea of what Jesus had in his brain, I would invite you to join me this morning in the book of 1 Peter. 
It's towards the end of your Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's a little letter, so it's easy to skip, but you'll see a whole bunch of Peters. Go to the first one. At first, Peter, you're going to turn to chapter 2. It's indicated by the big numbers in there. Go to the, go to the chapter 2. We're just going to read a couple together. If you don't have it, it's okay. It's going to be up here on the screen. We're going to read this together. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 says this. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And what's more, there's more, there's more. You are his holy priests. You, plural, are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We find this passage in a similar place that we find the previous passage, Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 is surrounded by a, by a list of laws and rules and stipulations and do's and do's nots. <laughs> Peter, this passage in Peter, in a similar fashion, is, is surrounded by lists of expectations for holy living of believers. This passage specifically is a call to spiritual maturity in Christ. He says, you are coming to Christ. You are getting closer to Christ as you begin to look more like Christ. He wants his audience to move from being spiritual infants dependent on milk from a mother to building something. It is Christ that God has made the living cornerstone we learn of what's being built now. Anybody notice something funny about the phrase living stone no. Okay, let me give it away for free. You ever seen a rock that was alive? A cornerstone is laid first. A cornerstone is meant to be the stone by which all other stones are laid. Therefore, you probably don't want that cornerstone to wiggle a whole lot. You feel me? And yet, Jesus, God says, is a living cornerstone. He is the stone by which all other stones are laid, but Jesus is far from dead. Amen? Jesus is yet alive. Therefore, the stones around him, in order to keep up with what God is building, must move as he moves. Amen? He says that Jesus was a stone that was rejected. He was tossed out by the rest of the world. A stone that others looked at and said, one of these things is not like the other. Toss it. But that stone was specifically chosen by God. That stone was specifically crushed by this world and supposed to be dead. But he is very much alive. 
And God is the great builder. God is the architect who is taking us and creating his perfect design for what our house will look like for eternity. There are two things I want us to take away from this passage this morning. Two things. Number one, we are living stones. I need somebody to be with me. Say, we are living stones. See, we are no longer stones that are dead. We are no longer stones that are scattered. We are no longer stones that are left in the rubble. Rather, we are handpicked. We are brought to life. God scoops us out of the dirt, breathes life into us. And as stones, we are laid up as a part of a perfect design. See, building stones, building stones are, are built up. We, as stones, should be being built up. Our faith pushes us and grows us. The truth we find in the word of God helps shape us. The person of Jesus gives us an example to shape ourselves after. And the Holy Spirit begins transforming us from the inside, purifying our hearts and intentions. Have you allowed yourself to be built up by God? Have you accepted that you are no longer lost? Have you accepted that you are no longer a blended in, crushed piece of dead rock mixed in with the rest of the world's destruction? Have you accepted that God has specifically sifted through all of the elements to find you, to pick you up, to breathe life into you? Have you accepted that God wants to chip away the things that you have carried on your shoulders for far too long? That God wants to shape you into the beautiful and perfectly made creation he intended you to be and that he knows you still can be? Have you subjected yourself to this transformation process. If you have not, I would like to invite you to come see one of us who will be up here for prayer afterwards. There's a beautiful message and a beautiful hope that we want to pray over you. As stones, we are also built into something. We are also built as a part of something. Every stone in a building has its place. Every stone in a building holds weight and is crafted and meant to fit in a particular spot in what's being built. The same is true then of God's people. He has a spot 
for each and every one of us. He is shaping us to fill a particular void in this world. He is shaping us to fit a particular niche that he needs us to hold weight in a unique way that only we can and only he has made us to be able to do. This spot is unique and specifically carved out for us to fill, for each of us individually to fill. Have you allowed yourself to be built into God's community? Have you allowed yourself to be built into what God is building? Or have you ingrained yourself into the ground and the destruction of this world? Because I promise you only one of those things is going to be left standing. Do you know your role? Do you know the spot that you fill? Do you know your niche? Do you know how the Holy Spirit works through you? Do you know how God has gifted you? Do you know how special and how specific God got with your design? And how he wants to work through you? Have you asked God? what it is that he would have you do in regards to building what he is building on earth and in eternity. Takeaway number two, we are holy priests. Now, 80% of this room said, nope. I felt it. You didn't say it out loud, but I felt it in my heart. You're like, no, dude, no. No, 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 no. I see where this is going. And no. Well, argue with Jesus. Because as Peter was so inspired, he pretty clearly lays out this idea that this isn't a physical building that God is constructing. Rather, it's God is building a place of worship. God is building a dwelling place. God is building a world where we uplift and glorify him rather than, you know. And in it, he is raising up a holy priesthood. And that is us. That is us. And as priests, it says we are to be offering spiritual sacrifices. What the heck does that mean? I got you. It means we are to give God our praise. Amen. It means we are to give God our whole selves. Because what God has done through us, through Jesus Christ, is a greater gift than anything we could accomplish on our own. It is a greater gift than anything this world could give us, either temporarily or long term. It is a greater gift that sets us apart than anything we could possibly dream of for ourselves. And because of that, we give praise. When somebody offers a compliment, we give God praise. When we do a job well done, we stop, we look at it, mm, that's dope, and then give God praise. When we are in here singing in the morning about how God, as some would say, recklessly risked everything to save us all, we give God praise. It means 
We allow for our conversations to be dominated by a connection between us and the Father. That's prayer. It means that with everything, we take it to prayer. We take it to the throne room, if you will. We put it at the feet of God and we ask the question, what would you have us do? And then, check this, we listen. That's prayer. It means we dedicate our whole selves. Now, I would need weeks to get into all of this, to to get into all of what this means. But it means that we give our everything. It means that our jobs we are no longer just looking at as a paycheck. We are looking at as a mission field. It means our relationships are no longer what can I gain, but what can be gained by God in between this relationship. It means that, 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 that when I look at my bank account, I don't see how long I've got till I can take that trip. It means I see how much I have to give to God. And we give We give financially because as we talked about last week, that tends to be a hang-up for us. But as the title of this and the Gospel of Matthew indicate where your treasure is, there also your love lies. Have you been offering spiritual sacrifices? Have you praised God and given into him in worship for all he has done for you? Because I promise if you made a list, you'd run out of paper. Even if you were making it in the middle office, Max, you'd run out. Do you have a regular and open line of communication through prayer? Have you dedicated your job, your family, and your time to God and his will? Do you sacrificially give of your finances, trusting that God will provide what is needed? And finally, as priests, we go on behalf of our community. As priests, we hear the sins of our neighbor. We hear the concerns of our people. And we don't just... mm, But we go to the throne about it. We go to God about it. When somebody offends you, we don't send. We go to God about it. When somebody is sick, we don't go to Rite Aid. We go to God about it. And then maybe he tells you to go to Rite Aid. I don't know. I believe in the triune God and the doctor. Sorry, don't get me off track. Let me go. Have you gone to God on behalf of your neighbor, that person that's difficult to work with, that person that's difficult to live with, that person that you just think they'll never get it? They're a dead stone. Kick that one over. It ain't coming home. Have you gone to God about that? Have you gone to God and have you asked for forgiveness? On behalf of yourself, but that's another sermon, have you gone to God and asked for forgiveness on behalf of your community? For the things that you may or may not even be guilty of. And then have you stepped back and allowed yourself to listen for instructions? 
Are you going to God on behalf of your community? Have we given ourselves over to gossip and slander? Have we turned a blind heart and eye to the issues around us? When was the last time you went to God and pleaded for somebody? When was the last time you prayed for the well-being of those who don't know Jesus? As priests, it's our duty. It's our responsibility. And before I let y'all go, I need to answer one more question, and that's the why. Why me, though? Don't you do that? Yes, under my own convictions, not because of a salary, I do this. Imperfectly at best, I do this. But you all should do this. We all should do this. If you drop down just a few more verses to verse 9 in the passage that we just read, it's okay if you, need to, if you unmark the spot because it's up here. If you drop down to verse 9, you'll see Peter say this, but you're not like that, talking about all the, all, all, the, all the crap of the world. Long story. But you're not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You're a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Why? For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Why? So that you may show others. Why? Because God is good. Why? Because you're not. Why? Because you need saved. Jesus picked you up out of the darkness. Jesus saw your addiction. Jesus saw your struggles. Jesus saw the things that you never murmured to your neighbor. Jesus saw the things that you did. Jesus saw your real intentions. Jesus saw what you meant. Jesus saw what you said. Jesus saw what you thought, and he saved you anyway. Once upon a time, we were suffering in darkness. Once upon a time, that was our death sentence, but Jesus changed all of that. Jesus brought us into the light. Jesus brought us into enlightenment out of his sheer goodness. Now, if that doesn't hit you in a way that makes you want to share that with somebody, then let me know so I can go to God on behalf of you. We are meant to share the goodness of God, that God saw us in our misery at our lowest, in all of our brokenness, and God rescued us. And then even moreover, that wasn't quite enough. He had another thing in mind. God began making us into something. If we really believed that, if we really believed that all of those things were true, then we wouldn't hesitate to share that goodness so graciously extended to us with everyone around us, if we really believed that. If we really believed that we served a purpose and that we had authority through Jesus, we wouldn't hesitate to heal the sick. We wouldn't hesitate to forgive the sins of others. We wouldn't hesitate to rebuke and cast out the enemy from every space that we walk into. We wouldn't hesitate to declare victory in our families, our houses, our neighborhoods, our jobs, and our schools. 
And if we didn't hesitate to do any of that, then people would understand, not this stupid lie, but people would understand that the church is a collection of living stones that offers life, not a dead man-constructed structure that opens its doors on Sundays and Wednesdays. People would understand that God's church is on the move. I want to be a part of a church that moves. I work at Malone. I'm on plenty of committees. I don't need another one, not from my church. I don't want another planning team. I don't want another ceremony to go to. I only got two suit jackets, y'all. I've worn them both four times in the last two weeks. I don't want some facade of how you doing, do you feel better, see you next week. I don't want that. I want a church that moves. I want to be surrounded by people who know that they're living stones and that they're holy priests. I want to be around people that work hard to build up this family and make more room for the lost and broken who have yet to know that they're invited. And to the lie... To the lie that the pastor is the one who does ministry. I believe the imagery of the New Testament is clear. Jesus has taken down the curtain. He's crumpled the walls that once separated God from his people. And now God is building with Christ as the cornerstone a new house. A house that moves. A house that shares with everyone the goodness of its architect. Because every single stone was picked up from the rubble and destruction and hand chosen. And so now every stone has a story to tell. It has goodness to tell. And lost pieces to go on behalf of. God is not done building and he has included us. So we should not be caught still dead, or waiting for somebody else to move. 